podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by a recovering Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Della, absolutely fine. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I could uh, I could get Guy to uh, imprint the text message from you on Monday uh, into the image for this podcast, if you'd like, and let people know how you really felt on Monday as you were, I suppose, locked to your bed, chained to your bed, not in a good way, uh, with whatever type of virus has struck you down. Uh, it's on these occasions, I'm glad we do these things remotely and not in person. Um, <laughs> today, we're here to talk about our five favourite transfer windows from the Premier League. So later in the week, we'll do our five favourites from around Europe today, just from the Premier League. Uh, So do you want to go first or will I go first? You're the host with the most. Let's get you on the go first. I'll go go first. I'll go first. Right. Well, I'm just going to go alphabetically. I I don't, there's no, I don't have any order to these. I'm just going to go alphabetically with them. So my first one is Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth had a brilliant transfer window. Justin Clivert, I'm not overly high on, but for nine and a half million, I think it's a gamble worth taking. Hamid Traore, loan converted to a permanent deal. Love that signing for them. I think he can be a massive player for them. Uh, Roman Favre, they've, they've just loaned him straight out. It, it was They were just a conduit to get him to a different club. Milos Kirkas, I love. Alex Scott, I think, is a fantastic signing. Max Ahrens is one of the bargains of the summer. I think Tyler Adams is going to be huge for them. Radu, the goalkeeper in on loan with an option to buy from Inter is a very, very solid move. And Luis Sinistera in on loan on deadline day from Leeds, I think is is an outstanding player who can add a lot to them going forward. I do think they missed two things. They tried to get Pats and Daka in to have that sort of penalty box number nine. They were unable to do that. They maybe have left themselves a little bit short at centre-back. But I think, you know, when you address both full-back spots, upgrade your midfield and upgrade in wide areas, I think they've had a great window. I think it's a window of real ambition as well. And they've done this without any major sales. So I think huge credit has to go to the ownership there who've come in, put the money where their mouth is. And the other thing to factor in here as well, which is why I love what they've done this summer, they went big and got Andoni Irola in, took a big swing. It would have been easy to just stick with Gary O'Neill, but they made a brave move there and then then they've backed him. So I think this is an absolute A window for them. I think they've done tremendous work this summer. Yeah, they're on my list as well. Um, And two real reasons here, plus one, not caveat, but something I do think is worth mentioning regarding the transfer window as a whole. Um, One thing is exactly what you said there, that they have upgraded in so many important areas. It's not just, uh, you know, let's say two really big players. They've actually upgraded depth. They've actually upgraded starting calibre. And the general overall increase in ability in the squad there isn't like an enormous one where you're going to have... Uh, let's say a discrepancy in quality between moving the ball between one area of the pitch and the next one when you when you you know playing build up football or anything like that. It's actually a really really good incremental overall improvement. It's like there's no real weakness that they've left unaddressed unless you want to point to the number nine. Obviously that they've not actually brought in a new particular specific face for, but 
there's so much addition, so much variety in that line behind the centre forward that you can see it's an overall net win for the attack anyway. And we've already gone over uh, Dom Slanky, for example, in quite mm. a lot of depth of how important he is and the 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 facilitation that it allows for the players in the line behind him anyway. So it is really, really impressive the way that they've not just sort of accepted that they survived last season by probably some fortune because they certainly, at the very least, lucked out that Gary O'Neill had the impact he did. Like Whether or not you think he's good or he'll be good long-term, he could have gone either way in his first senior job. Like, And he's actually did a good job there and he kept them up. So they've not just stuck with that, but like you say, build on it uh, and take probably two steps in one window here, to be perfectly honest. The bit that I do think bears noting, though, is that they've spent like over £100 million here without really anything coming in at all. It is a window that needs to work. That's the one thing that you would say. Like, It's a big outlay for a club like Bournemouth to have, even with bringing in you know, a manager who's highly rated and all the rest of it, without it working. So if you get sort of towards probably November, December sort of time, and it's not looking great for them, which there's no no indication that that's going to be the case. But just saying, if that was the, the situation, I, I don't doubt in the slightest they would be looking to make a very, very quick change there because it is such a formidable outlay for them in a single summer. Mm. You can't really afford to suggest like, like all right, Alex Scott, Milos Kirkus, let's say the teenagers, you could say that they are looking at them for two, three years and then they'll be very, very good. But you can't then also spend the best part of what twenty million pound on Tyler Adams and forty million pound more or less on attacking reinforcements, and you don't get the return from that in that season. I mean that that would be a big, big thing for Bournemouth to to be concerned about into the second half of the the campaign. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see them offload Jade Nancy. Uh, it was actually him that I saw first on deadline day leaving, but then when I saw leads, him effectively yeah. effectively a, a lone swap, Anthony out. And Lucy Nistera coming in, that's a net win again. Like, I like Jaden Anthony. I think he's been a really good impact player for them. But Sinistera is like a good level up, if not two. Yeah. I think the, the one departure that they might miss is Jefferson Lerma. But I do think Adams replicates a lot of what he does and then offers more as well. Uh, it is worth noting Irol, I believe, is only on a two-year contract. So, like you said, if, if it did come to a point where they decided it's a two-year contract. If it did come to a point where they decided to make a move, there's not a huge compensation out there. This window follows on from a very aggressive January window where they brought in Oatara, Semenyo, Zabarni, Traore on loan, Vina on loan. So, you know, they, they have they have spent considerable money. I'd expect that they'll go in January and potentially revisit that Pats and Daka deal and maybe look for another defender at that point. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the number nine situation is a bit of a concern. If Solanke were to be out, they don't have another facilitator like him. Owatara could play through the middle uh, with certain makeup around him, which I think is something they'll look at at different times. But, you know, you look at what they've got and Sinistera, Owatara, and potentially... Um, Hamid Traore behind Solanke, that's potentially really, really good. But you've got other great options there, like Ryan Christie can play a multitude of positions. Billing can play a multitude of positions. You've got David Brooks back now. You've got Semenyo can play a multitude of positions. Louis Sinistera, or not Louis Sinistera, Justin Clivert can play both wings. They do have a lot of versatility in the group. And I know I've missed someone. Oh, um, Marcus Tavernier as well who I'd expect to, to be an important player for them too. So, yeah, I, I think they've done very, very well. And I really like seeing the smaller clubs be brave like this and be ambitious and maybe, maybe overstretch themselves ever so slightly, but be confident in the process that got them to this group of players coming in. Because, and like I said, Clivert's the only one I'd have some doubts over, but everybody else that they've brought in, I think has, has a level to go up and Kirkes, Scott, Aaron's Troyore and, and Adams, they're all players and Aaron's Aaron's are Adam, both, both Aaron's and Adams. Both of them are, all of them are players that whose value could rise or should rise 
in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. They're all young players as well. They've made a concerted effort to go and target players 24 and under, while at the same time having a decent amount of experience littered through the squad. People like Ryan Fredericks, Adam Smith, Ryan Christie, Joe Rothwell. Like, these aren't elite-level match-winning type players, but they're they're veterans in the room. You know, they're grown-ups. They'll be able to help guide some of these younger players and, and give them good support. So I like the makeup of the squad. I like the balance to it. And uh, and I, I I think the managers already had a really good impact. They were unfortunate not to beat Brentford. Obviously, they, they started well against us and then we came back into it. But I think they've shown enough so far to suggest this could be a good campaign for them. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Agreed, but there's always one team who overextends and doesn't quite live up to it, whether that's because of signings or just the season, injuries, manager, whatever it is. So, Agreed. We will um, def- definitely be one of the ones to keep an eye on. Right, so you had them as well. So give me your next one then. Right. I'm not going alphabetical because otherwise we're just going to maybe overlap in a couple of them. So um, I'm, I'm quite keen to hear what you, see about, what you say about this one. I'm going for Liverpool. Um, I think we missed out on stuff. I think we didn't get one of the ones I think was key. But overall, after a few days of reflection, I quite like and wasn't expecting four new midfielders in and six out. Mm. And overall, in terms of if we take out the fact that we support Liverpool and want to win everything, so we want to have everything straight away, for one summer's regeneration of one massively important area of the pitch, I think that's an astronomical amount of work that's been done. It was absolutely needed and it was overdue, but to actually see it done is is quite something, I think. So they weren't on my list for a couple of reasons, but I can absolutely see the logic behind the pick. And I did my grading for them on two-footed today and I gave them a B on the window overall. Um... One of the reasons I knocked them was the lack of a quality holding midfielder. And some of the excuses I'm just not buying into, you know, the lack of the lack of, ma- of value in the market. But that's because you, you left it far too late. You wasted all of July doing nothing. You did absolutely nothing for all of July. You had six weeks then to replace Fabinho and you haven't done it. You made... A, a British record bid for Moises Caicedo and then sat on your hands after that in terms of going to find option C because Chumeni was option A, Caicedo was option B. You should have had an option C. I think he was sitting right there ready to be taken from Crystal Palace, but it is what it is. But look, Zabozlai is, I think, a transformational talent. I, I think he he's going to be an Allison. Virgil, Salah type of signing. And to go from Henderson to him is like going from Lovren to Van Dyke or Mignolet and Carius to Allison. Or actually, sorry, my mistake, Danny Ward to Allison, because if you remember, Danny Ward was going to be given his opportunity to prove uh, that he could be number one. So I think that's that level of upgrade. Alexis, I, I, I love the signing. I love the player. The value is incredible. But I do have big question marks over the other two because Gravenberch, it's, it was two poor seasons before this one. So we're really working only on one season of evidence that Ryan Gravenberch can be an elite level midfielder, which is the 2021 season when there was no fans in the stands and a lot of players had good seasons. 
that don't normally have good seasons. Like Luke Shaw had the season of his life. John Stones had the season of his life. These players that have been wildly inconsistent through their careers. Now, the more I've watched and rewatched and rewatched games from that 2021 season, the more I hear him speak, the more I watch stuff about him, the more I think he's come here with a real point to prove and a chip on his shoulder. Because look, the Bayern thing has been a disaster. And two, not one, but two managers gave up on him very quickly. Now, Thomas Tuchel can say, oh, well, it's because he doesn't fit how he wanted to play. I mean, do we do we buy that? Because that's not what was coming out of Bayern earlier in the summer. So, you know, but that might just be Bayern. It might just have been a Bayern thing. Other players have gone there and had similar issues where they just haven't settled in. Maybe their personality hasn't melt, uh, meshed in all that well. But everything we've seen and heard from Gravenberch since he signed has been really positive. And if he can get himself back in the mindset he had in that first full season at Ajax, before all the hype and the Pogba comparisons and the talk of, you know, 60 million moves here, there and everywhere, if he can get back to that kid that was trying to establish himself, I've gotten myself quite excited about the prospect of what he could be because he's a very different type of midfielder to what we've had and what we have. He's not a six. He should never be used as a six unless it's an emergency. But there's part of me that wants to see us really work with him and develop him into not, not necessarily an attacking midfielder, but an attacking central midfielder who uses that dribbling and passing and physicality to really impact the game in the final third. Endo, look, he he's the Milner replacement, isn't he? He was brought to see out games. He's got a bit of versatility about him. He's a really hard worker. He's got a good personality. He's got a strong mentality. He's got leadership. So I don't mind that signing at all. But I, I do have that concern about not signing a starting caliber number six. And the other thing is not addressing the defense at all. Now, if you're going to play a back four, or we're going to get into situations where the rest of the team is functioning so well that we mitigate some of the weaknesses there on the left side, like the weekend, Andy Robertson had a really good game, but the team was functioning really well. So he wasn't really challenged a whole lot. It's when we're challenged that I have concerns about that spot. So that's why I knocked them down to a B, not addressing the six, not not getting that left-sided defender in. But what they did do, I think, is very good. Yeah, I think the number six, the pure, proper, elite number six is the biggest thing. And the and I thought it was the most important thing. So there's a big one to overlook, but I think still the scale of rebuild is, is mighty, let's say. And Gravenberch is going to play a big part in how good or not good this window is because we're pretty set on the other two. I, I, I think there's still a little bit of way to go to get the best out of McAllister. I think that's fair to say. And a part of that is the knock-on of not signing an elite six. But <clears throat> that's not to say he can't be extraordinarily good in his own way in different roles anyway. I just don't think it's as immediate and obvious as, let's say, with Sovereslai because, well, because of the way that we are using him in, in a few different roles already. Which of the three do you think is most likely for Graham Birch to have an impact in this season? Even if it's not like in the next couple of games or the next month or so, he has to play Europa. Are you looking at Alexis deepest and then Graham Birch left side? Yeah, I think so. I think Dominic will establish himself on the right. I think Alexis will be the six just by default, which is, I think it's a waste of him, but he can still impact games really positively there when we're dominating possession. And I think then Gravenberch and Curtis will rotate on the left. So you'll have Dominic and Harvey for the right, Alexis and Endo mostly for the six. Tiago obviously will, will play when he's fit. And then... I think it'll be Curtis and Gravenberch mostly on the left. Who's your next? My next one is Brighton. Um, I just think it's another really, really smart window where they've signed some young players, some established players, and 
they've obviously sold really, really well. Now, they obviously undersold on Alexis, but that was an agreement that they'd made with him. And in truth, he would have been going into summer with into this summer with one year left on his deal. So in all likelihood, they were probably only going to get 25 to 30 million for him unless United came in and did something stupid. They got way over value on Moises Caicedo. And you know how much I rate that kid, but he's not a 115 million pound footballer. He's a 75 million pound player. The fact that they got 25 million for Robert Sanchez as well, uh, who's very, very average is a really, really good deal. I love the signing of Joe Pedro. I think Bart Verbruggen is the best young keeper on the planet. Mo de Hood, I'm, I'm, I've been a fan of since he was at Gladbach. I know the Dortmund thing didn't always work out all that well, but I, I still think he's he's got everything that they need in the midfielder. Carlos Beliba, Carl, this kid looks like he might be the next big thing. He, he just looks absolutely incredible. However, so did Tangai Endembele. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but you'd back the Brighton process of, of identifying talent. Uh, Igor Julio, or Julio, I'm not huge on him, but he's a solid defender. And I think that's all they really were looking for was a solid left footer, who's a decent pass with the ball, which he is. And then they signed James Milner, who, I mean, the guy can't play anymore, but he he provides a vital presence in that squad in terms of leadership and experience of European campaigns. And he can't, like, he can fill in here and there when he's needed. You just don't want him playing more than, you know, what's necessary. Overall, I just think they've nailed this window again. And and uh, Noel Atom, the young centre-back they got from Leipzig, I'm told, I haven't seen him, I'm told this kid <clears throat> has a real chance to be something special. So um, I think Brighton have just nailed it again with, with the sales. I think they've done brilliant work. When you consider they paid four million or four and a half million for Moises Caicedo, he's played, what, 45 Premier League games, not even and they've gotten 115 million for him. Like that's got to be one of the best bits of business any club has ever done. Um, and then you know they basically use that money to re- to replenish the squad, and <clears throat> the sales of Alexis and, and Sanchez is, is is profit for them. I mean, some of the the fees that they've brought in for people, even like the low low mileage ones like three of the forwards have left Connolly Undav and Zakiri and they've got in like five million for the three of them who offered nothing let's be perfectly honest at this level that Brighton are now at they weren't players who could regularly contribute Undav is only on loan I think but you know still got a fee for him yeah um and the other two were championship caliber players yeah yeah I mean they're 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 players who were contributing probably at or above their level even when Brighton Mm. were in the bottom half of the table um, pre-Potter, and then in the early days of Potter as well. So to get fairly decent fees for them, to have replacements, not just already ready behind them, but already having partaken uh, over the last six, 12 months for them is just ridiculous. I would like to know when you reckon the Brogan will displace Jason Steele in goal. I think he's done it. I think he's in. I think he'll stay in uh I don't think there's any. I don't think they'll go back. I think he he he'll, he's going to be the number one. It wouldn't surprise me if Steele plays the Europa League, but I think Verbruggen will be the the Premier League goalkeeper moving forward. Where are you predicting them to come in the end of this season? I think top eight. I, I think the Europa is going to be a bit of a stretch on resources because there is a couple of areas that are a little bit light. The one deal I didn't like was they sold uh, Mikel Karbonik, the young Polish left-back. And when I look at the squad, there isn't really a backup in the squad for Purvis's uh, Stupinan. So I I would have been keeping him. My assumption is Milner will play some there, but Solly March can play that role. And And Solly March is actually good at left-back, so he he can play that role. And, And to be fair, Solly March has been unbelievable since the Zerbi took over. Like, from a guy who looked like the Premier League was a step too far to now, he has to be banging on the door for an England call-up. He has to be. He has been sensational for the last 12 months. So, uh, and of course, like, the one deal I didn't even mention, which might be the the masterstroke of the summer, was they got Ansu Fati in on loan. Yeah. Now, I know there's no option to buy or anything, but still... That kid, what, 
18 months ago was a hundred million pound rated player. He hasn't just become crap. He's had some injury issues because Barca overplayed him as a teenager, but there's no doubting the talent. He's explosive. He's different to what they have. I'm really excited to see what he, you get him in. They've got Ferguson. They've got Joe Pedro and CISO will come back. Cause I don't think that's an ACL. I think that's just like a three or four month injury. It's his patella tendon. It's not, is it? Is it yeah, torn? Sure. Uh, they didn't specify. Oh, if it's torn, it's it's a year and then a year to oh, that. That's career altered, altering. If that's what that is, that's horrendous. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, that's a horrible injury, which is such a shame because that I love that kid. He's he's incredible. Um, but look, they get Ansu Fati in to fill that gap for however long. Yeah, that's that's a really good, really good get. That's actually that's actually after upsetting me now because I I was only th- watching footage of him earlier on and thinking from a talent and style perspective, this might be the next Suarez. He doesn't have Suarez's lunacy, but he has that same that same skill skill set and the ability to just embarrass people. Um, yeah, so Brighton will be my second one. Who is who's your next one? Um, I am going to go to, let's say, the other end of the the, the alphabet um, in Premier League terms and go for Spurs rebuilt. Mm. And again, I think there are a little bit, one or two areas where they could have either done more or gone bigger or whatever, but the scale of it is big. And yeah. more to yeah. the point, I think that this is the first time in quite a while where Spurs have been buying for a sustainable system and approach over more than one manager, more than one season. Um, the the line of back three and trying to get higher profile managers and all the rest of it was just a nonsense for them because they were also stylistically different. Even if they were playing a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, one after another, the approaches of not just the managers that they did, uh, land, but the managers they tried to in that Nuno summer and didn't get were all so ridiculously different. I just thought it was an absolute farce from Spurs, to be perfectly honest, for four or five years, really. Um, I think there's, like I say, still work to be done to make it genuinely a, a, a trophy-challenging side, but I think that there's enough here that if they have the first team and you know the three or four after the first 11 mm. and they all hit form... They could win a trophy. They could get top four because there's no European football. I think they're a little bit short across the season, to be honest, but there's enough talent there to suggest they could, especially if it really just gets ridiculous buy-in from some key players and they all, you know, three or four of their most important players hit a really, really good run of form at the right time this season. There's just a lot to be working with here, especially with a manager who prepares in the way that Postacoglu does, plus probably put in three of the signings who look like they could play a really important role. I'd say Vicario started really well in goal. Mickey van der Ven at the back looks like he's got something that they've been missing in, in consistency and strength and reliability. And that then pace as well is impressive. Yeah. yeah. And and then James Madison, I think, is going to be a massive player for them. I, just aside from his technical ability, I just see already several instances where him and Son or him and Kulosevsky, or him and whoever has been playing through the number nine, are able to interact and able to switch over positions and link really well, chuck in his set pieces as well. And he's just a really, really good addition for them, I think. I think he's a brilliant signing. I genuinely do. And the price they got him at as well is is a great value for, what is he, 26? They've been missing, since Ericsson left, they've been missing someone that knits that attack together. And he does exactly that. He's that conduit that people can look for to play through. And he has end product as well. Like he is a production machine, goals and assists consistently. Obviously, the Kulosevsky and Poro deals were loans with obligations. They they had to make them. But they they negotiated down the Kulosevsky price, which I think is excellent. Vicario looks good. Madison looks great. Van de Ven looks great. I think... Um, Manor Solomon's a very, very clever signing. Even if he's not a starter, I think he can play in a multitude of positions for you. 
young Velez, the Argentine striker, he looks superbly talented. And look, they've overpaid for Brennan Johnson by a little bit. But I really like the addition because if they're going to commit to Son as the nine, but Brennan Johnson slots in on the left side and gives you that really pacey outlet who can now crash into the box and get on the end of things. And with him breaking from left to centre and Madison working in the centre, I think they're going to link up for a lot of goals as well. I would have liked a nine, but if Sun is going to be the nine and Richarlison's the backup and it's going to be about pace and movement, that fits more with what Ange did with Kyogo at Celtic, where he had him almost as a false nine, but he was also the main goal scorer. And it was his movement and his link-up play that made everything tick. So I, I do think they've done really well. The one area I think they're a little bit light in is centre-back. They let Sanchez go. They let Tanganga go and they let Joe Roden go. So I, I look at the centre-back situation. I really like the two starters. I do not like Eric Dyer. And I really don't like Ben Davies as a centre-back option in a back four. So I, that's the concern I have. I like the full-backs. Adoji looks like he's going to be a star. I like Ryan Cessnion. I always have. I like Poro. And Emerson Royal is definitely a lot better as a fullback than he is as a wingback. So again, I think they're, they're good on the right with different options. I do just think they're a little bit light at centre-back. And Romero has had injury problems since he's joined. If he's out for any spell, I think that's where they're going to have some some issues. But I have well, he them... He'll be out for a spell because he'll be suspended at he'll some be point. Sus- yeah, he'll get himself suspended and then he'll do a hamstring... And he'll probably play 30 games. That means eight games of Eric Dyer, Carl. And eight games of Eric Dyer, let me tell you, is eight games too many. So that's my concern with them. However, I think I think they're going to get top four this year. I have them finishing fourth right now. I, have, I think Ange is that good. I think that attack is going to be that potent, playing his style of football. I really like the midfield options. Like Basuma and Matar Sar are both very, very good. Bentoncourt is very good. You've got Oli Skip and Hoisberg is still there. So, you know, he, he can contribute. And then you've got Madison and Lacelso as your number 10 options. I think that's a really strong midfield group who gives you a bit of everything. They've got decent depth out wide. I know you're not a fan, but Brian Hill is talented. They've still got Perisic. They've got Manor Solomon. So, you know, behind Kulisevsky and Brennan, that's a really good wing group. Son, Richarlison, and uh, Villas as the nine options. I mean, they're they're pretty stocked in attack as well. It is just it is just centre back that I would really hit them on and say that's the one area you should have addressed a bit more. And I like the I like young Ashley Phillips from from Blackburn, but he's not Premier League ready. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Your next one. Uh, so Spurs were on my list as well. So that's now three of my list with, with them, Bournemouth and Brighton. And you had Bournemouth, Spurs and Liverpool. So that's three each. So I've got Newcastle next. Um, I, I just, I really like what they did. I, I think each of these moves is a very sensible move. So they bring in Yankuba Minta, 
he's a prospect. He's meant to be immensely talented. We'll see. He's gone on loan. It's a it's a young player, a gamble worth taking. They've overpaid a little bit for Sandro Tonali, but I really like Sandro Tonali, and I do think he's a good signing for them. I love the Harvey Barnes edition, and when Eddie Howe recovers from whatever concussion or brain injury that he's suffering from and puts him in the team over Anthony Gordon, I, I think he's going to do really well for them. They've overpaid for Livermento, but I love Tino Livermento, and I do think that is their right-back spot boxed off long-term. Lewis Hall, from the Newcastle point of view, this is one of my favourite transfers of the summer. Loan with an obligation to buy, and yes, the loan, the obligation fee looks high now, but if he gets a long run in this team, I think people will look at it as a bargain come next summer. I think he's really special. And they signed young Cahill Heffernan from Milan, who's a really, really promising young Irish centre-back. Um, so I, I think they've had a great window. They've overpaid on a couple of players, but I think they're players that were worth the overpay. And they haven't done anything stupid. There's no big flashy signing. They still haven't, you know, signed a Robinho. They've had a bad start, but they've had the toughest start of anybody. Like, they've had four really tough games so I don't think you can hit them on that either. I just think they've done well. And they, they also sold quite well. Now, the Chris Wood deal was set up from January, but that's 15 million's good value for Chris Wood. They got decent money for, for St. Maximum. And I think taking him out of the group as well just removes one of the kind of unstable personalities in the group. I think he's a little bit too flighty, a little bit too wishy-washy. I, don't, I think he's more there to entertain people to win which is is fine but Newcastle are, are set out to win so I think they've just I think they've continued to add to this build and, and I look at it long term I see Livermento right back Botman left centre back Hull left back Gamerish and Tonali in midfield Isak and Barnes up front I, I think goalkeeper right side centre back one more midfield and right wing and that's going to be a title challenging team and even with Nick Pope and goal if you nail centre-back right side of the attack and that one in midfield, I, I think that could be a title-winning team. So I, I think they've had a really good window. I really do. How good do you think Tonali has to be this season to be value? Because he's like a really, really good player and obviously their highest profile signing of the summer and a very important one tactically as well. Mm. So uh, similar to how good Gravenberg ends up being is kind of the one who will make... Yeah, make or break Liverpool's window, but he makes how good it is, let's say. I think the same might be true for Tonali, because you know what you're going to get in terms of Hall and Livermento. They'll be decent this year and should be much better going forward. Barnes will be like good now and is a really good squad addition, but Tonali needs to be really good, I feel. I think he does, but the thing I'd say is he is only 23, and I know he's, it seems like he's been around for a long, long time, but he is still 23. So I have a feeling this Newcastle window might not look great come May, but maybe the following May, it'll look a lot better. And then the following May, it could look absolutely genius. It's it's one of those that I think is a bit of a slow burn. There's no, there's no instant impact player other than Barnes. I think Tonali, you're going to have to allow him time to settle in. But I think he's had a pretty good start. I think Willock could be key to that midfield this year. If it's Willock with Tonali and Gamerish, that's the midfield I see that has the best balance to it because if Gamerish is the six, Tonali plays one of the eights and Willock is the more attack-minded eight who can offer that final third goal presence, that's the best balance. And I think that will take more of the pressure off Tonali as well. I think when it's Jolington, because he's so busy running around kicking people and dragging out of people and acting like a, a dickhead, I think Tonali's been asked to be a little bit more attack-minded than he's suited to. I think if you let him sit a bit deeper, almost performing the Ginny Wijnaldum role defensively, but then offering a bit more on the ball next to Gamerish, I think that's where that pairing could work really well. Uh, my only other question here is, I think that this is these are good signings in terms of the team that Eddie Howe was building and the way that he was building and the function of the team, the, the setup and system of the team, but do you think he is able to get the best out of these? 
I think Eddie Howe got every single bit he could out of that team last year. I also think he got every single bit out of himself last year. I, I think there's a ceiling on what Eddie Howe can achieve with Newcastle, and I think he hit it last year. Now, he might hit that ceiling again this year, and, and Newcastle could well get fourth. But I don't think Eddie Howe is the guy you have when you're winning a league title. I, I think he will be gone. I don't think he'll go this season, but it wouldn't hugely surprise me if he did at some point. I just hope they don't go the Mourinho route because I think that would set them two steps back. As much as I love Jose, he'd be an awful appointment for this club. I agree, I agree completely. Absolutely. No. Um, my other question on Newcastle is whether or not you think they get through this Champions League group that they have. Because hmm. I do. Really? It's a really tough group, but I actually do as well. I said it straight away as soon as I saw the group. I think they'll come out of that group because I think the names in the group yeah, make people... what they are right now. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I get that PSG are in the group and, and they're going to be really good because they've, they've actually, to their credit, PSG have actually had a good window. I think Dortmund are, are fairly average. Yeah. And I know Milan had a good summer. I think they're fairly average as well. I think like, Milan might be in a better state than Dortmund right at this minute. Yeah. But, and they haven't really integrated all their new players just yet. But I think uh, Newcastle can take seven points at home. Yeah. And I think they can go away and get a, a win or a couple of draws. I, I think Newcastle can get second in this group. I, I'd say PSG yeah, top. I, I think the turn can get second for sure. I. Yeah, I, I think those two to go through fairly comfortable, to be honest. I think people are hugely overrating Milan, personally. Like, I get that Rafael Liao is, is a star talent, but you look at the rest of the squad and there's a lot of question marks to be asked. Like, the goalkeeper is a stud as well. Like, he is he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, is Mike uh, Mignon, or Mignon. He's probably a top five goalkeeper in the world at worst. But, you know, Benasser injury prone, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, inconsistent, Oli Giroud's near 40, uh, Christian Pulisic, injuries, inconsistencies, Reinders, it's a big step up for him. He's a decent player, but I, I don't know. Luka Jovic, I mean, I, I don't really understand that one all that much. He wasn't good for Fiorentina. Noah Okafor, Big talent, but, you know, he, he's only a talent at this point. Luca Romero was the same. I love Teo Hernandez. I love Teo, but the rest of the defence, Kalulu's still inconsistent. Tamori's inconsistent. Malik Teo, I think, is going to be a star, but he's still inconsistent. Eunice Musa, he's just a project at this point. Chuck Wazy, yeah, he's talented, but did people pay attention when he was at Villarreal? Because he went from... This guy, this guy is going to be the next eighty million pound winger. Liverpool should look at him to replace Salah. To all of a sudden, he's moving to Milan for you know a fairly fairly cheap price. I know he had a good season last year, and he's still young. But a lot of these players have a lot to prove, and they have to settle into a new league. So, yeah, I think I think Milan have been overrated. I think Milan could be good next season once all of these players have settled in and acclimatized and developed a bit more. They might even win Serie A this year because Napoli have taken a significant step back. I don't think Inter had a particularly good summer. And Juve are an absolute dumpster fire at the minute. So Milan could win the title, but I, I don't think on the European scale that actually amounts to much. Yeah, I, I think that if I was Newcastle, I might well be looking to go to Milan and just make sure you don't get beaten, and that's fine for the opener. But I yeah. would, for them, I'd be targeting that middle back-to-back against Dortmund as, as six points, to be perfectly honest, especially if Newcastle, obviously, by that point, you would imagine are more in their groove in a decent run of Premier League fixtures and so on and so forth. They should be well used to the rotation of games by that point, as long as Eddie Howe gets his team management in terms of minutes okay then yeah I, I would be looking at Newcastle to do the damage across that back-to-back double header yeah and if they come out of that if they get a draw in Milan what have they got they've got PSG at home then don't they 
Yeah, even I if mean, you ignore the PSG game. Well, like, I think they can beat PSG. At I, I, I think that there's a good chance Newcastle top the group in all honesty because I think PSG is still going to be lacking consistency with some of that area of the team. There's quite a few young players there, but regardless, they don't need to. They can just make sure the others don't beat them and that's it. Yeah, yeah, true. If they take eight points from the other four games and lose to PSG, they'll still come through second. Um, right, who's your next one? Um, Sheffield United, actually. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously contextual. It's it's relevant to where they are, but I think that they've brought in enough really good players to give themselves at least a chance. Um, I think, think that there are obviously some really obvious deficiencies in the team. Um, but generally speaking, especially considering who they lost, um, with Ilman in the eye and Sander Berger being the two main ones, let's say. I actually quite like the the business that they've done, to be perfectly honest. I think Gustavo Hamer's a really, really good signing for them. Mm. Um, I, I, I only saw him a few times in the championship, but I, I think he's much, much better than I would have initially given him credit for, to be honest. Obviously, you don't want to go too overboard because you might be looking at you know form for a new team and not a complete clear picture of the player himself, but I think his start has been excellent. I think he's shown he can play against a, a much higher level of player and still not just produce his game, but have a real impact on his own team. Uh, and I like the sign of Cameron Archer a lot. And I think if they continue to play them as a two up front, he's someone who could be a better goal scorer, a better foil than even I was last year. So really, really difficult still for them to stay up. But those two signings in particular, plus a couple of other additions like Tom Davies, I think bringing him in on a free is... Nowhere near a bad deal whatsoever. Yeah, Yeah, I really, really like it, to be honest. Uh, They've got good depth at wing-back. Obviously, Luke Thomas, I think, in the fullness of time, will be a a very astute signer for them for the season. James McAtee brought back in as well, who they obviously really, really like. So I think that they've given themselves a shot, at least. Yeah, I I actually really like how the summer worked out for them. Look, it could have been a disaster. They lost their two best players. Illiman and Jai and, and Sander Burge in the space of eight days, but they responded really well. Uh, Vinny Sousa from ha- uh, Lommel, the ball winner, I've been really impressed with him so far. I think he's going to be important for them. Hammer, like you mentioned, looks... He's taken the Premier League really quickly, which is a huge thing because it can be a big jump from the Championship. Love the Tom Davies signing. Love the Archer signing. Didn't like it for Villa, but love it for them. Um, Luke Thomas and James McAtee on loan. Really like both of those signings as well. And look, if Benny Traore and Anif Sliman can show the potential that they have, they could be important players for them as well. Alston Trusty, I'm not overly sure on. I haven't seen enough of him. I think they've left themselves light at centre-back. I'm not overly impressed by the goalkeeper. And I do think there's an issue at right-back because George Baldock just wouldn't be for me. And Jaden Bogle hasn't developed in the three years or however long he's been there. So I do think there's still holes in the team. But they haven't spent a huge amount of money. And I think they've come out a better team than they went in, which is what the purpose of the window is. So... Yeah, I think considering the situation they found themselves in, I, I think they've actually turned it around and had a really strong end to the window. So I can fully see why why you've put them on your list. And a final one for yourself? Nottingham Forest. Okay. Um, I, I, just, I don't like the Chris Wood deal, but that's from January, so I'm not counting it as part of this summer. Love the signing of Ola Aina on a free. I think it's really, really clever. Can play anywhere across the defence. I think Anthony Alanga, I think they've got really good value there, given his pace and potential. I love the signing of Murillo. Love the signing of Nicholas Gonzalez. I think Callum Hudson-Odoi potentially proves to be a masterstroke. I think Sanger is a mass- an absolutely massive addition for them. Massive, massive addition. You put him, Dominguez, and Danilo as a midfield three with Gibbs White in front of them, that's going to be a match for most teams. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) 
This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Omabama Deli, I'm a big fan of. I think they've done really well to get him in at really good value. Can play right back, left back or centre back. So I think he'll prove valuable. If they play at three with him and Murillo either side of Miyakata or even Worrell, I think that's going to be a strong defensive unit. Montial on loan is a great signing. Andre Santos, incredible potential. Now, how much game time he'll get, I've no idea, but I think it's a good signing. Nuno Tavares makes sense. They could, they needed a left-back addition. They've got one. You're never going to not have a good window when you're signing Mr. Vibes himself, Divock Origi. And Odysseus, the surname I can't even begin to pronounce, um, is a solid goalkeeper. The only thing I think they haven't done, Carl, is I don't think they've signed a clear number one keeper. I think Matt Turner and Odysseus, they're both solid seven out of ten kind of keepers. And that could be fine. That could be fine to get them through the season. But I think they've pretty much hit on everything else. I think they got really good value on Brennan Johnson. 55 million for a homegrown player after one inconsistent season in the Premier League, I think is great value. They didn't lose anyone else of real importance other than a couple of lads that were in on loan who've, who've left. I think they've absolutely nailed this window. I really do think they've nailed this window. I think Sangari is the the one. I think he's the one who elevates this from a, another window of a lot of people. <laughs> just leave it at that. He signed eight players in the last 36 uh, hours of the window, by the way. <laughs> nonsense. Um, but signing him is like, it's it's such a big thing. He could be such a good player. And like, I think there are questions over how they fit some of them into to the setup. I mean, even like you mentioned, Mario and Oma Babadele, like, I don't even think you can have both of those, especially at this stage, but they're giving themselves the option to obviously build and, and change the 11 and the, the 15 sort of going forwards with, with a couple of these signings. So hudson Adoy could prove to be one of the biggest bargains of any summer. Like if he gets anywhere near back to yeah. when he was getting called up by England, like three and a half million, two and a half million, whatever it was, three million was just a lunatic fee. Uh, and like you, Aina Montiel, I think are brilliant signings. I, I, I stick to what I said. The squad is still a bit too heavy, and there yes. are a few positions like both wing back sides feel a bit ridiculously full. But you know, they they are obviously confident and comfortable dealing with that situation. And fine, you know, let them get on with it. They managed it last year to an extent. I think it was important they got a bit better. Uh, with with some of the starting eleven that they could choose from and rotate last year, I think last year was a big rotating cast of not very much different other than names. But this year they should should be able to rotate a little bit more at a higher level. You know, if you've got Montiel starting right wing back, I don't think it matters too much if you put Aina there instead. I, I really like Montiel. If he hits form, I think he should be the starter. But he has been an inconsistent performer. So if you've got someone else like Aina to come in, if you've still got Sergio Aurea there who's, who's had some good games himself, obviously, then and there's Nico a lot Williams. to like about the squad <laughs> and Nico Williams, yeah. Well, I think Nico Williams might even end up playing a bit more left side to be honest, because there's slightly less depth there. They've only got like 16 players to rotate on that side. So. Yeah, I think I think Nico and, and Nuno Tavares will be the left back options because I think Harry Tofolo's facing a ban for gambling violations similar to Ivan Tony. 
So if if they are the two on the left, and it's Montiel, Aurier, and Aina on the right, that's I mean, it, it's it's one too many maybe, but it's still it's really strong. At centre back, you've got Bianconi can play centre back. You've got Worrell, Felipe, McKenna, Boli, Amabamadeli, and Murillo. It's a lot, but again. There's going to be some injuries there. There's going to be suspensions. There's going to be a loss of form. Like last season, for example, Bianconi missed the entire season with an ACL tear and Niakata missed two long stretches. And they ended up having to play Czech Coyate at centre-back at times. Now, that's fine because he can play there. But, you know, I think they've got good depth there. Same thing in midfield. There's a lot of bodies in midfield. You've got Danilo, Yates, Dominguez, Santos, Coyate, Mangala and Sanger. But Sanger is the standout, Danilo probably second. The rest are all of a good, similar, solid level. The only thing they don't have really is a backup for Gibbs White. So if he's injured because Scarpa went on loan, that could be something that caused them issue. But up front, you've got a 1E, Wood and Divock as nines. And then Dennis Alanga and Hudson Adoy can play the wide roles. And obviously, Danilo's played behind the striker. Gibbs White can play wider behind the striker. So Steve Cooper's got a lot of options this year. A lot of options. And it'll be on him to make the most of them. He struggled at times last season and then kind of got things right and, and they managed to stay up. I, I wonder if they could go back and redo the January window and not get Shelby and not get Chris Wood, who got injured shortly after joining and didn't help them stay up at all. I wonder would they like to go back and redo that one. But all things considered, for a team that's less than, what, 14 months in the division, yeah. I think they've turned out a very strong squad with depth yeah. everywhere, good options. Uh, I'm impressed. I think it's a, I think it's a really good window. But also continuing to back the manager, like mid-season last year when people were saying he was under pressure, just gave yeah. him a contract, then bought new players and then it bought new players again. So that yeah. is also nice to see, even if it's a bit extreme, let's say. It is, especially from an owner who's noted for having a very short temper and a, a very small amount of patience when it comes to his managers. So um, I think that's been really positive to see. I, I think I think Forrest are going to be comfortable this year. I do. I think they'll be comfortable this year. Um, who is your fifth and final? Um, it, it's not a, a clever one. I just think it deserves note. Um, they won everything last year and yeah. Man City have gone and bought some really fucking good players. It's that simple, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, the rich I, get I, I richer, don't, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to delve into too much detail on the players, but like... I just think the, the work that they've done is really good. Josh Guardiola is ridiculously expensive, but for a big reason. We think he's going to be one of the best defenders mm. anywhere, and they've got him. Jeremy Doku, he has all the talent, and he could be such an exciting signing. So it's going to be interesting to see another type of club who can pay the money they did and afford for him not to be elite, unfortunately. You know, he could be, and they could make him it. It's going to be interesting to watch him develop from that perspective but they don't really need him to be elite. Um, Kovacic, don't need to add anything there at all. I think he's a sensational signing for a ridiculously low fee. And Matthias Nunez is a really, really good fit stylistically. Could just be a player for them, just a player, just a normal squad player who does the good things well and doesn't add anything in specific to the team, but they could turn him into someone who plays a really, really important part. And then on the other side of that, uh, some of the fees they've got in are ridiculous. Like they've they've offloaded a lot of players, obviously, which mm. will go with a lot of wages, Cancelo and uh, Gundogan and whoever else. But then big money for Laporte going to Saudi Arabia, um, considering he didn't play as huge a role over the last couple of years. Riyad Mahrez into the final knockings of his window at 32 years of age. Big money again. And Cole Palmer. I mean, I like Cole Palmer a lot. I think he's a really good player. Yeah. Like I said pre-season, I, I, I want to see him involved a lot more with Man City, and I think he's capable of it. But they've got an astronomical fee for him. Yeah. No other way, way, to, way to over what he was. Consider what, what he's played and what he's achieved so far, and at 21 years of age as well, and they've brought in more money for him than was paid for England international Harvey Barnes, for example, mm. for Ghana international Mohamed Kudus, 
for another England international, James Madison. All of these attacking midfielders with multiple caps, and we've spoken about Madison. More for Cole Palmer than we paid for World Cup winner Alexis McAllister yeah. as a defensive-minded, technically gifted midfielder. More than Man City actually got for Riyad Mahrez, who played the same role and was actually in front of him in the team and has won loads of stuff along the way. And indeed, more than Luton Town have spent on all of their transfers put together. Cole <laughs> Palmer costing more than Mohamed Kudus is everything that's wrong with pricing in football right now. Because so much of that is on the fact that he's English and counts as home will count as homegrown when he become, comes of age. Now I have to say, look, they they've, they sell brilliantly. You know, they got ten and a half million for Shea Charles. They got fifteen for James Trafford, twelve for Carlos Borges. There's what that's over thirty million, thirty nearly forty million on lads that have never kicked a ball for the first team. You know, they got another five million for Jan Hel Herrera, who I really like. Um, they they sell brilliantly. So they they can go out. Look, I, they've overpaid on, on Josco, they've overpaid on Doku. Given the season he had, they've overpaid a little bit on Matthias Nunes. But their next spend is only around 70 million on the summer. So they can afford to do that. And they're still gonna be compliant and not come under any observation because of it because they're selling all of these immense young players. They've got 40 players out on loan. It's obscene that the production from that academy. People will say, oh, well, they haven't replaced Gundogan properly because his goals were so important. And that's all true. But if you listen to what Rodri had to say recently, he said that because of how good Kovacic is at sitting deep and protecting the midfield, it now frees Rodri to get forward and get goals. And Kovacic will get you some goals. I think Matthias Nunes will get goals. And the knock on Kovacic was, oh, well, he's injury prone. Oh, well, that's fine. They just went and signed Matthias Nunes, who's got a very similar skill set and can slot right in. I-, I think they've done brilliantly. I really do, and I hate them. I absolutely hate how good they are at this. I hate the fact that it's so easy for them to say, okay, we want Josco Vardio, let's go and do that. Remember as well, they also drove the price up on Declan Rice, which means which meant Arsenal couldn't afford to go and get one more piece, which helped City. Uh, they're, they're, they're dirty, horrible cheats, but they operate in such a smart way. Like the forgetting what goes on with their accounting practices and all of the rest of it. The football operations side of things, whether it's recruitment, whether it's sales, whether it's the academy, obviously the first team under Guardiola, but all the rest of it around him, like it all functions flawlessly. Flawlessly. They've had a great window and credit to them. They've improved their squad. Like you said, they won everything last year. They'll win the league again this year at a canter. And it's very hard to see who beats them in the Champions League. It's really hard to see how they don't go back to back. Yep, very, very difficult. Even if that is a difficult thing in itself, it's just yeah. probably going to require an off day from them or whichever opponent in the knockouts to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, and like note, Mbappe goes <laughs> nuclear against them or something and scores a hat-trick and knocks them out that way. Or Vinicius goes nuclear. That's what yeah. it's going to take. Something incredibly special or City soiling themselves, which is not outside the realms of possibility. They have done it in the past. They tried to do it a couple of times last year. But at the same time, right now, you'd have to pick them to win win the Champions League. Yep. And on that delightful note... That's- yes, and as we've depressed ourselves and everybody listening, we'll leave it there. Uh, all going well, we'll be back later in the week with our, our top five from around Europe. Uh, we'll we'll obviously just stick to the main leagues. Um, I'm not sure Dinamo Zagreb's window will it, it, it feature at all, things like that. So we'll just stick to the... Do you know what? We can include the Turkish league because I'm putting Galatasaray in mine and that's just the end of it because I just love what they've done. Um, talk about rolling the dice on a bunch of players. Um, so yeah, mine will be Galatasaray and four from the major leagues and Carl will be five from wherever he fancies. And uh, yeah, anything you need to plug or want to plug before we go? 
No, I think we should just reiterate the fact that you say one thing and immediately uh, contradict yourself in the next sentence. I That's know, fine. but they, they, they're window, Carl. They signed a Cardi and Zaha and don't, don't ruin it people midweek. We need it's tremendous. It's tremendous. People are going to tune in to listen anyway, Carl, because it's me and you. I mean, the top top tier talent here. They're not going to ignore this podcast. Right. Um, international break and there's nothing else to do. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. They've got nothing better to be doing with themselves. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening as always. And Dan Byrne goes nuclear. Uh, yeah, tomorrow our... What pod is that? The one we recorded like three weeks ago. Oh, I, I've completely forgotten about it. Yeah, we've got a pod coming out tomorrow as well. So make sure you listen to that one too. Uh, which means that the one about the five windows around Europe might actually come out Monday. Which, yeah, it will probably come out Monday. So enjoy that one. Enjoy the favourite teams one. And uh, then we'll be back obviously later next week to preview our next game, which is Wolves in a lovely early kickoff away on a Saturday, which is just lovely. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.